Um, we'll just make um, Abby feel welcome and give her a round of applause as she comes up. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be here in church with you all this morning. I want to start by acknowledging the absolute privilege that it is to meet together in this way in such freedom. And so I feel very honored to be speaking to you all today. I pray that this message will bless you and that God in his generous way would use me as a clay jar full of his treasure to encourage you this morning. For those of you who I haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Abby, and as Donnie said, I'm married to Tim, a very handsome and wonderful man with a big beard. <laughs> so Tim and I very first attended Cornerstone exactly one month prior to the first lockdown last year. And needless to say, since that date, we've been on quite the adventure. I think it would be safe to assume that I'm not the only one who's heard it been said Good riddance to 2020. And I get it. But for our family, 2020 will first and foremost always be remembered as one of the most incredible years of our lives because it was the year we got to have our little babies. Aww. I wanted to look at them on the big screen. Now, now, I can sense the nervous fluttering across the room as you're all wondering to yourselves, is the rest of my message just going to be sliding through a PowerPoint presentation of photos of my twins? And whilst I suspect some of you may even enjoy that, I have restrained myself to just the one photo. So it was in the early hours of the 27th of July, 2020, that I got to become a mum to Reuben and Annalise. And it's hard to find the language to adequately describe how deeply I love them. It's an understatement to say they are the greatest gift of my whole lifetime. To give you some context, before embarking on this journey of parenthood, I was working as a practice nurse in general practice. And you know, I felt really competent at my job. I felt well-trained. I had good experience, I knew the systems, and to wrap around all that, I had a wealth of knowledge at my fingertips in the form of all my colleagues. And then I had babies, (laughs) and I found myself at home responsible for these two helpless little humans who needed me around the clock. My days blurred into my nights, and honestly, every time they cried, I would feel a rush of adrenaline and anxiety at the thought of not being able to soothe them. During my pregnancy, I'd read lots of books. I'd watched all the Baby 101 videos on YouTube. And yet when they were born, I found myself really out of my depth and really overwhelmed. It wasn't what I had expected and it wasn't like anything I had ever experienced before. My prayers at that time were very short and direct. Lord, it's me again. Please would you help them sleep? Amen. (laughs) And if you could see my phone search history at that time, it was full of, when will my baby sleep through the night? Does parenting get easier? And how long can I go without sleep before I actually die? (laughs) And you know, all that left me feeling a bit discouraged. Now, don't get me wrong, we have a phenomenal support network of family and friends, and it's not lost on me how fortunate we are to be able to have children. So I hope I'm being sensitive, and I hope you hear my heart in sharing this part of my journey. 
A friend recently gave me a fantastic analogy to help describe the early months of motherhood. And I want to share it with you this morning because I think it's applicable to many different life challenges and situations. So it goes a bit like this. Imagine you're on the shore looking out over the water and way in the distance there's this beautiful island. And the island represents all your dreams come true and the wonderful joys of parenthood. And when you're pregnant, you're on the shore and you're preparing to jump into that water and swim to that island. And on the shore, you're having a party and everyone is so excited and it's going to be so amazing. And then your baby is born and you dive into that water and now you're swimming. And your baby is so precious and so sweet and so cute and you're feeling quite good and you're swimming. And then you haven't slept in several days and they cry all the time and you're still swimming and you keep swimming and you're starting to get tired of swimming and there comes a point where you're just exhausted and you're treading the water and you look around and you know you're meant to be swimming to an island but from where you are you can't even see it anymore and in fact you can't really see the shore anymore either and it kind of feels a bit like you're drowning. Now, from what I have heard from parents with older children, the island does exist. (laughs) One day they do grow bigger, they do sleep better, and they learn to say, I love you back. And I acknowledge that in most of my message so far, I have been speaking in the past tense. But being completely honest with you, I still feel like I'm in a season of swimming. Maybe you feel like you're in a season of swimming too. Maybe your destination way over there in the distance is a new business or a job or a relationship or a health issue or any number of relentless things that life throws at us. And maybe you're starting to feel really tired of swimming. Maybe you're feeling that the waves are pretty big and the shore feels like a long way back. Well, I'm glad you're in church this morning. Let's turn to the Bible for some encouragement. In 2 Corinthians, Paul gives us some really beautiful words of encouragement. He outlines some strategies to avoid feeling discouraged. So you may ask, does Paul have any authority to speak to me about feeling discouraged? Well, let's take a look at his testimony, which we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. It says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, and been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. Preach it, brother. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concerns for all the churches. I would say if anyone has the right to be discouraged, it's that guy. And yet, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 1, where Paul gives us the first secret to defeating discouragement. If there is only one take-home message I want you to remember, it's this. Never forget how much God loves you. 
God is so for you. Keep his love, his mercy, his grace, and his goodness always in focus every moment of every day. During a moment of prophetic worship, Stephanie Gritzinger sings, When everything is going wrong and it all falls apart, you are good. When everything is going right, you're still good. So we will prophesy this morning into every situation that you have never changed and you never will. When you are feeling shaken, you need to fix your eyes on the unshakable, unchangeable love of God that is never giving up on you. The second secret from Paul that, uh, from this passage that Paul gives us to defeat discouragement is to be authentic. Warts and all, never fake it. Be exactly who God made you to be. The message version words it like this. We refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes and we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display, so that those who want to can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. We're always going to feel like we're falling short if we are masquerading as something we are not or chasing an image of someone we think we ought to be. We don't have to be perfect. In fact, Paul tells us to glory in our weaknesses because it is through our weakness that God's strength is made perfect. In verse 7, it says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are vulnerable and flawed vessels, but God has chosen to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And if we humble ourselves and be authentic and allow him to, he will work through us. The third secret for encouragement Paul outlines in this passage is that there is a purpose for your pain. God will use your pain to help others because we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Paul describes the pain as being surrounded and battered by trouble, spiritually terrorized, thrown down but not broken. And then he goes on to say that all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God and that is why we should not lose heart. Sometimes here on earth you will suffer for the benefit of other people but in that moment, you are more Christ-like than any other because that's what Jesus did when he suffered on the cross for the sake of the world. The final key I want to draw from this passage to avoid becoming discouraged is to keep it all in perspective. Stay focused on eternity, not to invalidate what you're going through, but to remind you that we are eternal beings made to last forever and from that perspective, we can find hope in looking forward to the things we have not yet seen. In verse 17, Paul writes, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Remember, this was the guy who was shipwrecked three times. And he is saying our present troubles are quite small. Well, that all depends on your perspective and on what you are comparing them to. 
Paul is encouraging us to look beyond our current circumstances into heaven to the joy set before us. And because Paul didn't have twins, I just wanted to add my own final helpful tip to remember. If you know anyone who is going through a hard time or is feeling discouraged and you're wondering what can I do to encourage them and lift their spirits, take them a meal. When our babies were first born, this church provided meals for us until they were six weeks old. That is phenomenal. Tim and I cannot begin to explain how beautiful and incredible and deeply moving it was every single time something appeared on our doorstep at tea time. I would almost say it would be worth having another set of twins because (laughs) the quality of those meals was out of this world. Please be encouraged this morning. Know that God loves you. Remember to be who he made you to be, that there is a purpose for your pain and keep it all in perspective. I want to finish by praying a blessing over you. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And may you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, be fully capable of comprehending how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and that you may come to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God himself. Thank you for sharing, Abby. That was amazing. Cheers, mate.